I don't know why you've, you've come today. You may have come because somebody invited you. You may have bought a barbecue sandwich and you come to pick that up after the service, but you had to endure this. I, I, I really don't know why. You, somebody may have invited you to come and you said, I really don't want to come, but you know, you'll see so-and-so, so you came. But uh, for whatever the reason you came today, some of you are here because you want to hear not what I have to say. Hopefully you want to hear what the Lord is going to speak to you today because I don't have a lot of wise wisdom. Uh, this is the only thing right here that helps us out, guys, and that's God's Word. And so we're going to talk about it today. Um, if you want to go ahead and, 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 and you want to cheat for the next few minutes and figure out what we're going to be doing, you can turn over to the New Testament, the second half, and you look over at the book, at the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. First Timothy is where we're going to be at today. Um, but, but maybe... Um, if you're here, this is your first time. We've been walking through a series on money, which some of you probably gasp, but you think every time I go to church, that's all they talk about is money. Oh, yeah, man, we love to talk about it. We've been talking about it for about the past four or five weeks. And uh, next Sunday, we're going to get to some practical things because Randy's going to be here with us. And what we've said is if you have some questions about finances, if you want to, to have those answered, we're going to try to answer a few questions next week in reference to finances. We've gotten a few emails in from some of you that have questions, and Randy's going to try to give us some practical things that may help you out personally. If it's something that we, can't, um, we won't have time for next week, um, we will answer that behind the scenes, and, um, but this isn't, we're going to say, okay, well, Larry has a question about, you know, he's $75,000 in debt. No, that's not what we're going to do. Um, but Randy is going to try to help us answer some biblical questions in reference to practical finances. And so we're going to do that next Sunday morning. So I hope that uh, if you're not out of town, that you'll come back and be a part of, of that time as we talk about some practical things. And then we'll finish up this series on September the 9th. And then on September the 16th is going to be a family day. And at that family day, uh, we're going to bring the kids in except for the toddlers and the babies. And uh, it's just going to be a great time. Uh, we always talk about what takes place in the children, but on that Sunday, what we want to do is we want you to see some of the things that our kids do on a Sunday morning and what they're learning on a Sunday morning because they're, we don't babysit at Heritage. Our kids are learning about God and, and about His Word. And on that Sunday morning, we'll take a few minutes and just we'll create an environment that our kids, and they'll sing for us, and it'll do, so it'll be a little bit different. So I want to make sure, and that day also is a, is a, is a day that we'll celebrate. Uh, we'll, we'll bring in our potluck meals, and we'll all eat together. And so you'll, you can get that information on the city. If you've not signed up on the city, if I get really bored, you can go to the back, and Brian will meet you, and you can sign up, and we'll know that, you know, anyway, we'll know that you're bored, and you just need to sign up on the city. But uh, be here for that day. And then, then we're going to go into a new series. And I'm, I'm gonna, I've been reading, and I've been studying, and I think the Lord wants us to do something on covenant relationships. Relationships inside of, of uh, the marriage, relationships inside of friendships, what covenant relationships look, si look inside of the church as we continue to grow, and, and what is a covenant relationship? Where did covenant begin, and how does that, you know, what does a covenant friendship look like? See, how many of us are just fair-weathered friends? How many of us are a friend as long as you do for me what I want you to do? But as soon as you get honest and you, you have to tell me what I need to hear instead of what I want to hear, I'm out of here. That's not a covenant friendship. Those aren't necessarily the relationships you need to be in. You need to be in the relationships where people love you enough to be honest with you. And the same thing with our marriages. You know, how many of us, when we got married, we, we just were just in love? 
and then something took place. And you're like going, I made a mistake. What in the world? You know? I'm, you mean I'm stuck with you the rest of my life? <laughs> no. But I'm really excited about learning more about covenant relationships and how that applies to God's people and how that will apply to us. But let me ask you, let me just make a statement. Maybe it's just me, but how many of us are bombarded by messages every day reminding us of all the stuff that we, that we, we don't need, but we think we have to have it, or stuff that you didn't even know that you was, was available until you saw it on like an ad or, you know, or, you know, Ron comes up here and says, baby, I want you to look at the bling bling I got today. And you're like, oh, well, I got to have that. And, and in the midst of that, or, or say Ricky shows up and, and man, your John boat just don't mix up to Ricky's nice little boat he's got. And you're like going, man, I want a boat like that. It's just so easy to, f to get discontented these days, isn't it? And I was going to show a video clip this morning, I go, and I said, Meredith's my judge. I didn't have a ch chance to send it to Brian. But Meredith's my judge, and Meredith goes, eh, it's just a little bit too much. <laughs> but, but listen, we are bombarded daily with messages of people telling us what we need to have, yet we really don't need it. And we're bombarded, and it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. How many of us have things around the house that you've bought because you saw somebody else with it, but you knew you didn't need it, but you bought it because they had it and you felt like you had to have it? How many of us have, have bought something thinking that you needed it, to only realize after you bought it that you didn't need it, and now it's on a shelf for someplace else? I've got a bike rack in the car. And I bought it specifically. If you're here today and you need a bike rack to go on back of your car, I have it in the back of my car because somebody here probably needs a bike rack. There's no sense in you going out and spending the 50 or $60 that I paid, I paid to have it. It's been used one time, okay? So if you're here today, I bought it for you, and this is my gift to you. So, <clears throat> so if you just come see me afterwards, I will bless you with it, okay? I don't need 15 or 20, but is there somebody here that needs a bike rack? Raise your hand very quickly. Let me look. All right, all right you got it. Tom, if you'll come, you, hey, free, baby, free, free. <clears throat> we all have it. Why in the world do you think QVC is like, isn't that like on 24 hours a day? How many of you ever bought something off QVC? QVC. What, are the, why, what does QVC stand for? Quality. Shh. Lord have mercy. I mean, you know, it's funny because when you start talking about things people have bought, the men are going, yeah, I know what, man, my wife does that all the time. And the wives are saying, my husband does that all the time. You know, everybody can point a finger, but we all have done it at some point in time. We've spent money on something that we didn't need or didn't, we, didn't even didn't have any reason having, but we bought it because somebody made us feel like we were less than because we didn't have it. When Meredith and I were first married, by the way, we've been married 24 years, one month and 17 days, Miss Gail. Um, if you men need a little uh, encouragement of how to treat your wife on your anniversary, ask mine and she'll just bless you, she'll tell you. <clears throat> There's one of those things in life that you do and you go, that was it. Well, that was it. But anyway, um, <clears throat> I'll give lessons afterwards. Men, I'll we'll take you aside. But anyway, uh, when we first got married, our, our, uh, the place we lived was less than, it had to be less than 400 square foot. You know, 400 square foot, and 
And man, I was as proud as I could be. We had one, they don't, do they even make one bedroom houses these days? Yes. They do? <laughs> one bedroom. It was one, it was one bedroom. And the bath was just big enough. It, it was like one of those baths you see on a, a cruise ship. It was big enough to stand in and stand out. That was it. it was. <clears throat> but in that, in that one bedroom house, I mean, we had a, you walked in the door and there was a kitchen, a laundry room, a dining room, uh, a kitchen. There was all that in like a little bitty space. I mean, it was, it was, it was like this right here. And then there was the bedroom. And all we had was a microwave, which I bought because 25 years ago, the microwave was expensive. And they were really big, weren't they? So I figured, okay, we're going to need us a microwave. That's important. Uh, I got us a kitchen table that I found at a, at a yard sale for $75. Uh, we had a bed, it's real important. And we had our, our living room furniture was milk crates that I'd found behind the, behind the door at, at Winn-Dixie. That was it. I didn't have nothing else. I was just as happy as I could be. I'm paying the bills. Then I remember, because you don't have any money, you can't really go do anything. And so anybody remember Parade of Homes? They still do that. You know where these, oh yeah, don't ever take your wife to see a Parade of Homes. <laughs> We go hang out with the rich and famous. So we go down and where we lived, it was close near Alakwa and Heathrow and all those places. This is back in those days when everything was. So we went and, and listened. We drove in and I thought, Lord, how mercy. Look at these places. I mean, I saw kids' bedrooms that were bigger. I mean, there, I saw kids' closets that were bigger than our whole house put together. Kitchens? Man, I saw kitchens. It's like, man, that's a kitchen? That looks like a commercial kitchen. Uh, the yards were perfectly manicured. The stairways. And, and it, was, it was amazing because when I, get back, when I got back to the house, what I was really contented with when I left, I wasn't so contented with when I got back. And the conversations from where we, where we had been to when we got home was, okay, what do we need to do to be able to acquire some of those things that are just... You ever had those... You ever had those questions, those, those, those thoughts? Unbelievable. You know, it doesn't take much time. It doesn't take an awful lot to leave us in a place of discontentment. But the problem with discontentment is this. It's, it's like an appetite. You can't, you can't seem to get it full. And the problem with an appetite that's not under control is what? It'll destroy you destroy you. This is the sort of the thought. How in the world do we live in an environment like we live today where we are being driven by appetites? And the question is, I wonder if God's Word has something to say about it. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that Paul teaches Timothy as he speaks to him, and we're going to hear Paul's words as he speaks to Timothy on this issue of finances and money. Look with me today over at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 19. We're going to look at this, this letter. It was written by a man by the name of Paul. Paul was a mentor to a young man by the name of Timothy. Before Paul was a believer, before Paul had come to know Christ, profess Christ, Paul was a persecutor of Christians. His name was Saul.
Uh, but this guy would have a, an experience with the Lord, Martin, just, just like you did last Sunday. But it was, a, it was a life-changing experience, and he would come to know the Lord. And as a result of that, his life would be completely changed. And here's this guy by the name of Saul, whose name would be changed to Paul. And this guy would go from persecuting Christians to eventually dying for his faith in Christ. Some people, we don't really know how he died. Some people say, some historians say that he was beheaded in Rome. But for whatever the case, Paul's life was radically changed. And Paul was, we know Paul to be one of the greatest uh, figures in Christian history because he would be the one that would be known for spreading the gospel to many, many places. Uh, We've been known for his missionary journeys. And Timothy was one that he had taken along with him and he had mentored him and trained him. And so what I want to look today is I want to look at the words that Paul had spoken to Timothy as he was ministering and pastoring. And before, before we go any further, I think we need to say this about discontentment. Discontentment isn't always bad, is it? I mean, how many good things have been done in the name of discontentment? People said, I'm going to stop praying and I'm going to start doing, doing what I need to do. I mean, I'm not just going to talk about feeding the hungry. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get my butt in gear and I'm going to do something about it. There was a guy by the name of Henry Landworth that, um, that was from the east side of Florida, and he was, a, he was a guy that was in the hotel business, and he and several other people had gotten together, and they had formed a group, and, uh, and what they would do is they would, provide, they would provide services for families that had terminally ill, terminally ill children. One day, Henry was called, and they said, can you provide a space for this family? Uh, her name is Amy. She has leukemia. She doesn't have long to live. And so Henry said, man, I'll do that in a heartbeat. It's not a problem. I'd love to be able to provide that resource. And so they began working with other people. But before they could get all the details together, little Amy died. And as a result of that, Henry came back and said, I'll never let that happen again. So he gathered a group of people within the Orlando area in the hospitality field, dealing with the theme parks and things of such. And what his goal was and what his vision is he wanted to be able to provide a place that within 24 hours any child that was sick, that was terminally ill, with upon a request would be able to, be, to, be, um, to have a trip of their lifetime that would provide them with a magical experience. He would call that group Give Kids the World. Some of you have maybe heard about that. One of our girls, uh, matter of fact, uh, Katie's sister works. She's still working with them. Give Kids the World. And, uh, and it all came out and flowed out of discontentment. So discontentment isn't always, isn't always necessarily bad. But let's read here and remind ourselves discontentment is an emotion and it can be channeled in good or bad ways. But let's read here in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and see what Paul says to Timothy. He starts out by saying, this is in the New Living Translation, yet true godliness or following God with contentment is itself great wealth. Now Paul over in... Philippians had written, he said, I know, you know, I know what it's like to have, and I know what it's like to have not. Uh, and, and I've learned to be content in all situations. And he said this right here, he said, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. I can do all things. And Paul was saying to Timothy, I don't know what you consider to be valuable or wealth, uh, or, or consider wealth to be, but Paul said, listen, seeking after God is the most valuable thing in life. By far the most valuable thing. Putting God first, putting, in, putting Him in the forefront is valuable. Um, let me give you, I'm not much of a mathematician, but let me give you a, a, a little math formula. This sort of might help you figure it out. God plus nothing is everything. God plus nothing is everything. Everything minus God is nothing. God 
God plus nothing is everything. Everything minus God is nothing. Um, look at what he says in verse 7. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. Now, we say that, but how many of us truly believe it? I mean, how much, how much time do we spend trying to gather things as much as we can while we can? And remember last week we said this, you can accumulate all you want to, baby. When, when you die, you ain't taking it with you. And you know who gets it when you die? Somebody else. Somebody else. Verse 8, so if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Now, we know that should be true. We know that should be true. But it really isn't, is it? I mean, I don't see any naked people running around here. I mean, all of us are clothed, but are you contented? And, and I don't know if any of us in this room, there may be somebody that hasn't eaten in the past 24 hours, but I very seriously doubt that in this room today. Um, but we aren't content. We aren't satisfied. And then he goes on to say in verse 9, But people who long to be rich, those who are affectionate, those who desire to be, to be rich... Let me ask you a question. What are you longing for today? What is it that's at the forefront of your thoughts? You don't have to answer. Maybe just think about it. What is it that takes your time, your effort, um, that, that blocks off your calendar? Where is it that you end up spending the majority of your finances? What is it that's at the forefront of your life? And Paul said, as he's talking to Timothy, but people who long to be rich, to have more than what they need, fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy. He said, listen, those of us who spend our time focused on getting more than what we need are subject to be tempted. We're set up to fall. And who sets us up to fall? Does God set you up to fall? No. So who sets you up to fall? What that does is when, when you're longing to be rich and that, that desire is burning within you, it opens up the door for Satan to be able to get in and to draw us away from a God. And I love that word. How many of you guys like swamp people? What's the guy's name? Call of the wild? Yeah. Gus, he just ain't right, is he? They don't, they don't understand. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, I, I would build a trap all the time to try to catch something. It, it started out with a five-gallon bucket and a string and a stick. And then I found out that the, that the animal, when I, I would bait him up, uh, where it was a bird or a squirrel, that that, <laughs> that bucket wasn't fast enough, so I had to move to a washtub. Now, you guys from around Oxford, you know what a washtub is. It was a lot bigger and a lot heavier. So when I pulled that stick, there was a better chance. Now, I don't remember if I ever caught anything or not. I don't know what I would have done with it if I would have caught it because... But, but anyway, hog hunting, coon trap, whatever it is. But the, for the person that is focused on wealth, it's easy to be picked off. It's easy to be trapped. And Paul said, listen, if your goal is getting rich, be careful because Satan knows exactly how vulnerable you, and at risk you are. You know, if, if an animal is hungry, all you need is a little bit of bait. All you need is a little bit of bait. And you can, you can tempt him to come in. Tempt him to come in. What are some ways that Satan may tempt us if our focus is on finances 
and our longing is for finances? What are some ways that Satan can tempt us? Maybe we have some personal stories today. What are some ways that Satan can tempt us? Job? Different job? Better job? What else? What are some ways that Satan might could tempt us if we're longing for finances? Security. Security. What else? Make money quit scheme. Make money quit scheme? Okay. Yep. What else? Cars. What? Cars. Cars? Mm-hmm. Gambling. Gambling. Lottery. Lottery. If we want to get rich, how much time do you spend? Spend focused on, okay, this may be a trap. This may be a way that Satan's tempting me right now. You ever sit down and thought about that? Or do we just bail in? We bail in, you know why? Because the desire and urge is there. And we ended in early, in that moment in time, it's like the guy that I was talking to about pornography. And you know what he said to me? I knew that you would find out. But at that moment in time, I really didn't care. And that's where you get to the place when you're longing after. You're longing after the place. You'll come to the place. It doesn't matter who you hurt or where you hurt. It doesn't really matter because you're only focused on one thing. He goes on to say four, which he's about to explain some things. Four, the love of money. Okay, he didn't say money's bad. He said the love of money or prioritizing or putting it first. He says it's the root of all evil. And, and the question is, what is he saying? He said, listen, when you take money and you put it at the top of the list, it becomes the root or the source of all kinds of evil. How many times have you seen people do crazy things as a result of their love for money? It's all about the money. What can I get out of it? Anybody willing enough to raise your hand and said, I've compromised. I've compromised with the money. Yeah. I've compromised. I've, I've given in and I've done something that I knew that I shouldn't do, but, but I, wasn't looking, I, I wasn't looking at the bottom line, the fact that God owns it all and that God's the one that gives the resources. What I was looking at is I was looking at me and I was putting myself in the seat of authority. How many people have left marriages? How many people have walked away from friendships all because of their love for money? It's not what about I can give, but it's how much more can I get? And Paul goes on to say in verse 10, 10 continued, and some people, and you know what? The funny thing is everybody knows, everybody knows somebody. Everybody in here, if I were to ask you, you know somebody. And he's talking, remember who Paul's talking to. He's talking to Timothy, but he's in reference to the church. And everybody knows somebody. He says, and some people, believers, craving money, have wandered away from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. How many of us have walked away because of their love for stuff. They've walked away from truth and what's right. And as a result, they ended up in a place they didn't want to be. And you know what? When we end up in that place and we've experienced the sorrows and pierced and sorrows, we aren't the only ones. It's not just me that's hurt, but it's the people around me that get hurt. It's the people that are within my sphere of influence, my family and my friends and those people that care about us. And we say this about sin all the time. Listen, sin just doesn't affect your life, but it affects the people around you that love you the most. And what Paul was saying is that when we've got more than we need, it's easier for us to turn our back on Christ. And when we do that, we set ourselves up for failure and destruction. And then he turns around and he says this in verse, verse 11. But you, Timothy, um, but you, Jerry, 
but you, Mike, or you, Wes, or you, Kevin, Bill, but you, but you're a man of God. So run from all these things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, and perseverance and gentleness. And what Paul does is he gives Timothy a framework here of, of how to deal with the issue of being discontent. Paul said that if we love money, it would have the potential to influence every decision that we faced in life. And Paul tells Timothy up front, he says here, listen, man, listen, run, flee, fuego, it means to take flight in the Greek, to take flight with safety in mind. Now, I would be a fool to stay in a place if I've got a man that tells me a, a tornado's coming your way, I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to hang out. We were talking about on the way, the, you know, the kids heard, well, there's a potential for, for tornadoes. Are we going to have a tornado? I have several meteorologists in my family with the kids. <laughs> and I said, guys, I really don't know if we're going to have a tornado or not. But listen, we'll, we'll go, we're going to make ourselves, we'll get in the bathroom. Well, we all won't fit in there. Well, we'll try our best. Anna will have to get down in the toilet and we'll just stand around it, you know. <laughs> so we were going through our little, our tornado drill. But man, if we knew that there was, if we knew that there was danger coming, if we knew that it was coming, and it was down the road, and it was pointed out, I mean, wouldn't it be smart to flee and run? I mean, that would make logical sense, wouldn't it? To get up and run. And Paul, he uses the word fuego, which means to take flight with safety in mind. Man, listen, I'm getting out of Dodge because I know there's trouble coming. And I want to go the opposite direction. Run away. An intentional decision to channel our desire away from discontentment. To channel our desire in a totally different direction. See, the issue isn't money, but it's the pursuit of it or the love. And Paul tells Timothy, man, listen, move in the opposite direction. He tells him, listen, not only flee from evil things for the love of money, but he says pursue. Pursue. In other words, just don't sit back and wait for it to come to you, but go after it. Man, how many of us are pursuing our relationship with God. Look at the things that he says to pursue. If, we, if we're fleeing from this, what, what should we pursue? He says pursue righteousness and godliness and faith, love, endurance, gentleness. He boils it all down. He says, listen, pursue Christ-likeness. Pursue Him. And Paul tells Timothy, the way to deal with discontentment is not to ignore it, because it's there. It's not to ignore it. Um... But he says, redirect and change what you're pursuing. To redirect from going after this to going towards this. Instead of pursuing money and letting that control you and that be in the place of, of, of uh, valuableness or, or worth, he said, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And Paul would, he would re, um, and retell that story several times. He would retell that story in the book of Colossians as he talked about living a holy life. And he would talk about that in Galatians chapter 5. Where he would talk about what, what uh, living for God looked like. And then he goes on here in verses 12 through 16. Let me read through this. He said, fight. That's a great word to underline. Don't you all like to fight? Don't you like a really good fight? He said, fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold on tightly. Hold on to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have confessed so well before so many witnesses. He gives some really key forceful words here. He says, pursue, fight, hold on. Our faith in Christ is not passive, guys. It does not consist of showing up on Sunday morning and me throwing up on you what God has poured into me during the week. 
It is something you've got to seek. It's something you've got to pursue. It's something that you've got to go after. And my question is, how many of us this past week, how many of us have spent time in God's Word saying, God, I desire to hear your voice? Or are you just into the passion of coming on Sunday mornings? You're passive. And Paul was telling Timothy, listen, man, let me tell you what. Get out of the stands and into the stadium and get on the playing field. Get on the playing field. Don't pursue this, but pursue this over here. And he goes on in verse 13, he says, And I charge you before God, who gives life to all before Christ Jesus, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate, that you obey this command without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you from now until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. For just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed one and almighty God, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He alone can never die, and he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No eye has seen him, nor will. All honor and power to him forever. And to sort of summarize it, this is what Paul was saying. Man, listen, the faith that you have and the God that you serve is the one true God. Put him in the first place above everything else. And by the way, Timothy, I just want you to know that one day his son Jesus is coming back. I just want you to know that. And he's coming back. And the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then Paul goes for the overview of the, to the specific. And look at what he says in verse 17. This is what he instructs Timothy to do. Verse 17, teach, get up and tell them, declare and announce that those who are rich in this world, not to be proud and trust in their money. By the way, which happens to be unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Paul said, listen, the people that you're pastoring, the people that you're watching over, the people that you're loving, remind them to be careful where they put their trust. Because in a moment's notice, it can be gone. Because worldly wealth is temporary, isn't it? It doesn't last. It can be gone at any moment. Don't make wealth the focus of our attention. And in verse 18, he gets a little bit more specific. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And so these, this is the command. Number one, listen, don't be arrogant. Put your trust in wealth. Don't do that. Don't be arrogant. Put your trust in wealth. And then he goes off and he says this, the second thing. Be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. That means be willing to share in your time, your talents, your finances, but do it purposely. To be rich in good deeds. That people would, would, would know us, not necessarily by what we drive or the house we live in or the position that we have, but people would know us because of our deeds that we do on behalf of Christ. Not the buildings that you build, not the programs that you have, but they would know us by who we are. Verse 19, by doing this or choosing to live this way, um, they will be storing up their treasures as a, as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Sometimes you may ask in, the, in, your, in your walk with Christ, is a, there's got to be more to this life than, than what I'm experiencing. You ever said that? There's, gotta, there's, there's got to be more to this life than this life. And the answer is, yes, there is. But so many times, those of us that have professed Christ have just gotten caught up in doing the religious stuff instead of obeying and following what Jesus' commands were. 
there is more to this life than this life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Not just on the other side, guys. Not just on the other side, but so that we can have life and experience it here. But the temptation is this, to take hold of something that we think is life that really isn't life. And so how do we overcome the temptation that faces us in reference to wealth? Um, this is what Paul says. <laughs> Write it down. Be generous. That's how. How, how do you deal with the temptation to, to put wealth in the first position? You'd be generous. Be generous to other, other people. Be generous. You can't make discontentment go away. You can't pretend that it isn't there. But when we choose to give, it, it brings discontentment under control. We might say it this way, intentional and planned generosity detours discontentment. Intentional. Intentional. Within our, our realm of finances that Meredith and I have, and there's a portion of, our, uh, of, of what we have that is set aside for forgiving. And in that giving, it includes our tithes and our offerings. We'll talk about that in just a second. Um, but inside of that is a portion that we save, and then there's a portion that we live on. Now, culture says live, save, give. God's Word says give, save, and live on the rest. But it's so easy for us to get that out of whack. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth with the best part of everything you produce, then he will fill your barns with grain. Who will fill your barns? He will. He will, he will fill your barns with grain, and your vats will overflow with good wine. I remember a church that I served in early on in ministry. It was in a, in a farming community, and as a result of that farming community, part of what they did every year was they, they, they had a harvest celebration because of so many people that farmed, and they would bring in their first fruits, and we would gather, and we would celebrate uh, and eat together and, and give, give thanks to the Lord, and then we would take the overflow, and we would, what we would do is we would help feed the hungry people that surrounded the church. And in Malachi 3.10, Brian Suggs was asking me the other day a question about a verse, and that's what Malachi, um, the book of Malachi says this, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food to feed my people. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows for heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing. A blessing, that word blessing not only means a prosperity, but it also means peace. I will pour out prosperity and peace so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. Wow, when I think about this, this is, what, this is what I hear the Lord saying to us. You know what happens when we choose to obey God and we leave the consequences to Him? God says, listen, I assume responsibility for making sure that you're taken care of. That's where the peace comes from. When I choose to trust God, and then all of a sudden, God, because I'm trusting you, you're, you're faithful, and I know you're going to take care of it, so I'm going to leave it there because I know you're going to provide for me. That's unbelievable. Culture makes us aware of what we don't have. But what happens if we were to go outside of our way to become aware of what others didn't have? You know, and, and, and most of us in here could probably walk along in life and never be aware of what people didn't have because we were so consumed with ourselves. How do I counteract the awareness that I have in reference to where I am 
that leads me to becoming discontent over the things I don't have or I don't need. I mean, how do I, how do I deal with that awareness? And what Paul was saying is the only way for us to do that is to become aware of the needs of other people. You talk to the people that went to, to Nicaragua, I promise you that the things that they need and the things that they want lessen when they got back because of what they experienced there. If you want your kids to quit talking about me, 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 put them in a position where they have to talk and see somebody else that has less than what they have. Unbelievable experience. I know for us as a family, there's several times we've placed ourselves in those positions. And it takes time. And it takes effort. It takes, it's very, very intentional. We've had the privilege of being able to serve uh, homeless. We've had the privilege of being able to take clothes to the needy. Um, we've had the privilege of sponsoring children in other countries. God has blessed us, hasn't he? And it takes time and energy and effort to get to know, maybe become aware of the needs that are around us. Awareness drives generosity, and generosity is what bridles or controls our intense sense of discontentment. But I first got to take my eyes off of self and become aware of the needs around me. When you drive home today, when you drive home today, you're going to have some conversations um, probably in the car. When you get home and you turn on the TV or you sit down to read the newspaper, and I read that early, early this morning, you're going to be made aware of lots of things that you don't have and things that you could have. And you're going to have to make a choice. You're going to have to make a choice. And the, questions, the question is, what are we going to do? How are we going to respond I mean, how are we going to respond when that urge is there to have something that we know that we don't need, but we need it, we feel like we need it because everybody else has it? Is having something wrong? No, it's not. It's the love of that and the pursuit of that which becomes wrong. But how do I bridle that discontentment? You be generous. The Bible says this, tell the rich to be generous in good deeds and flee the desires. This is sort of my turn, the bigger and the better and the best. And, but pursue a life of good deeds. Jesus never said that stuff was wrong, did he? It's not wrong. But you've got to be careful because it's easy to be led astray. See, if you want to find contentment, you're not going to find it in your stuff. The only place that you're going to find it, Crystal, is in Jesus and no place else. That's what I want to challenge you with today. This next week, as an individual or as a family, I'd really love for you to sit down and consider, God, is there a way this next week that my family can be generous and do something for somebody else? That all of a sudden, instead of focusing on my needs, that I can, I can be able to become aware of the needs of somebody else and bless them. That's all I'm going to ask you. I'm not talking just to pray about it. I'm asking you to get out of the stands and do something about it. And this is what you'll find. When you do that, there will be a sense of strength that will follow as a result of it. There's a sense of blessing that will follow as a result of it. But this is the real, this is the real key. Giving, to be real giving, is not just to give something, but to give something until it hurts. Anybody ever done that? 
See, true giving is when you give of yourself, even to the place that it hurts. You give something that you really want, and you make a choice. See, we want to give an extra pair of socks away that we have, or extra pair of underwear, or extra fishing pole that we've used. But you know, in giving really, when it, when it really makes sense, and you know God's involved in it, is when you give something away, and you've got to go, but I choose. And that's what Jesus did for us. Is he said, I choose. I'm going to go to the cross. And I'm not going to give partial. And I'm not going to give a piece. But I'm going to give it all. And so today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, the greatest thing that you can give is give your life. It's not about just coming to church on Sunday morning. But it's about giving your life. And how do you give your life? You say, God, I need you. I need you. I want to give my life to you. It's as simple as that. And today, if you've never made that decision, man, I just challenge you to come and see me and say today, I want to give the greatest thing that I can give, and that's my life. I want to follow Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, <clears throat> there may be people here today that don't know you. There may be people here today that um, have, have never, they've done some religious things, but they've never truly said, I give it all. If there are people here today like that, Father, would they come? Would they, would they come to me at the end of our time and say, I want to trust Jesus? There may be somebody right here, right now, that, that wants just to raise a hand with our eyes closed to say, that's me. I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to, try, I want to give him my life. If that's you, just say, I want to raise, I raise my hand. I, just, I want you to know, Pastor Sidney, while, while you're talking, that's me. I want to follow Jesus. Anybody bold enough just to do that while heads are bowed? I want to follow Jesus. Anybody? The biggest decision we can make in life is trusting Christ. Today, though, the challenge for us is not only to trust Christ with our heart, but also trust Him with our wallets, our resources. And today, my challenge is for our people, Father, to remove themselves from the love of money if it's there, to denounce that and cry out and to refuse to go in that direction and to pursue righteousness and holiness to pursue an almighty God that loves us, to turn our affections towards the things of the world to the things of eternity, the things of tem temporary to the things of permanence. Now even right now you're thinking, as you're sitting here, of what God's going to have you to do this next week, who you're going to bless, who you're going to encourage, what you might give to somebody else that you know that's in need how you're going to use the resources that God has given you not to build your kingdom but to, but to enlarge his. Father, I thank you today for your word because what Paul spoke is true for us today. It's very applicable for us that live in this world in which we live. What I'm praying is that we as a body of believers would continue to press, press ahead. Father, we're nowhere near where we need to be. We're sinners in need of a God that loves us unconditionally. Help us to continue to move forward and disciple and, Father, to become more stronger uh, disciples of Christ. I'm praying that as we leave today, and Father, that, that you would allow us the opportunity to hear your voice this next week through the midst of the clutter and the noise and to have the conversations about how am I going to use the resources that God has given me to bless and to encourage and to exhibit Christ. It's all about you, Jesus. 
It's all about you. Thank you for the price that was paid and this example that was set on Calvary 2,000 years ago when you gave your life. May we be willing to take those steps in our own personal lives these days as we crowd and call out and say that we're followers of Jesus. Now as we leave this place, may we live out a legacy of faith. May others come to know you because of the lives that we live and the testimony that we share. That's what I'm praying. Send us out as an army today. In Jesus' name, amen.